And now, if you are able, uh, please stand with me as we hear the word of the Lord read together. We'll be reading Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. This is Acts 11, 19 through 30. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians." Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you, Father, for the story of Acts, as we see the way you uh, work in your church. Uh, Lord, we ask this morning that as we hear your word, as we consider it, uh, that you would be at work in our hearts as well. In name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, uh, we are continuing our study of the book of Acts. Uh, We are looking at the verses I just read, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through verse 30. And over the past few weeks, uh, we've kind of followed one big story. Uh, We've seen the church wrestling with the question, is the gospel of Jesus Christ for the Gentiles? That's kind of gone with silence, Uh, which may seem strange to us uh, because uh, it's hard for us to really understand just how big of a deal it was that the Gentiles were to know the salvation that was found in Christ. Uh, This is the Christ, the Messiah that the Jews had long awaited, um, and this was a major shift to the Jews. And so the church responds to this incredible news, first with silence, as they kind of process this, um, what they've just heard, and then they glorify God. They glorify God, amazed that God had granted repentance that leads to life, even to the Gentiles. And that's where we left off last week, uh, with the church responding to the conversion of Cornelius and those gathered in his home. Well, in our passage today, the question of the inclusion of the Gentiles into the community of believers, you know, in, into this family of God... It moves from being an isolated event to becoming a significant movement within the church. And one of my favorite musicians is an artist named Drew Holcomb. And on his most recent album, he released a song called Family. A simple title, it's called Family. And it's a really fun song. They sing about being dancing in the kitchen and going on vacation on the credit card, which Dave Ramsey does not approve of. Um, There's a really kind of fun song just kind of celebrating the idea of being part of a family. And it has a really great music video. And, and the, the neat thing about this video is that while it, it certainly features Drew Holcomb uh, and his actual family members in the video, uh, but it also involves all of their close friends, other musicians they know, neighbors they have, uh, who also join in and singing the song about the blessings of belonging to a family. You know, it's, 
It's a song that celebrates the family, but at the same time, it expands the definition of family to include their friends and their neighbors. Well, in, in the book of Acts, you know, we see the followers of Jesus challenged and sometimes struggling to accept the need to expand their understanding of who belongs in the family of God to include the Gentiles. In the book of Genesis, think all the way back to Genesis, in the book of Genesis, God sets apart a family from among the nations. Uh, when he calls Abraham to leave his home, to go to the land that he would show him, and this family grows until it becomes the nation of Israel. And it's the Gentile nations who lead Israel into worshiping other gods, uh, worshiping false gods. It's the Gentile nations who harass and plunder them. Uh, it's the Gentile nations who God uses to punish Israel, uh, carrying their sons and their daughters off into slavery in other lands. And yes, there were absolutely times when prophets would address the Gentiles or when the Psalms would speak of a day when the nations would worship God with them, or even times when God would send a prophet like Jonah to a foreign nation to call them to repentance. Uh, but Jonah's attitude towards that mission is a really good illustration of just how much the Jews despise the Gentiles. And in this passage this morning, you know, we're going to see whether the formerly despised and hated Gentiles will become a, a welcome part of God's family in the city of Antioch. You know, kind of that question of will the church in Jerusalem and will the church in Judea accept what the Lord is doing, expanding the definition of God's family to include the Gentiles? And that was a question for the church then. Uh, but the challenge of welcoming those who are different than us um, into our church families is still with us today. Um, you know, we still struggle. We still struggle to navigate differences in wealth or in education. Uh, differences in whether you've grown up in the community or if you've recently moved there. Uh, differences in family connections or culture or race. Uh, differences in personality can be really tricky to navigate, right? Uh, churches have their conflicts between, you know, their devoted Marys, uh, their hardworking Marthas. Uh, churches also have um, impetuous Simon Peters. They have Thomases who have their doubts. They have encouragers like Barnabas. You know, God has called all of these people. Um, they're all brought into the same family by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at times, it can be a struggle to accept and to include and to love one another as family, you know, as, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And, and since we know that the church today, just like the church of the first century, uh, can struggle to do a good job of welcoming others into our church community, uh, we need to pay close attention to the truths that we find in our passage today. Uh, so this morning, uh, we're going to walk through this passage together, and then we'll take just a few minutes to look at two important truths about God's family that we find in our passage today. And the first thing that we see in our passage this morning is that the gospel is proclaimed as the church is scattered. I'm going to read verses 19 through 21 again for us. Say this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So in Acts chapter 8, we remember Saul began to really aggressively persecute the church in Jerusalem. And there was Cyprus, or even to Antioch, which is 300 miles from Jerusalem. And, and as they scattered, they left behind their homes. Uh, they left behind their culture. Uh, they moved from kind of the home of Judaism to cities where they represented a small portion of the population. And as they went, we're told that they shared the gospel, but only with other Jews. And that, that seems a little strange to us hearing that, um, but you have to remember uh, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, he is the long-awaited Messiah that the Jews had patiently waited on as they suffered. And their starting point for the sharing of the good news 
was centered on convincing other Jews of the two truths, from these, that these truths from the Old Testament, right? So their starting point for converting other people was to start with the Old Testament and say, look at the Old Testament. It's been pointing to Jesus. Uh, this is also before Peter's vision and his spirit-directed interactions with Cornelius. And so they continued to take God's commands to be a separate people seriously. Uh, they weren't to live among the Gentiles. They weren't to marry the Gentiles. They weren't to share meals with Gentiles. If you, if you think back to last week, um, uh, chapter 10 uh, in Acts, um, verse 28, Peter says to Cornelius, uh, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Uh, but then he goes on to say, but God has shown me that I should not call any other person uh, common or unclean. You know, so as the church scatters, they, they continue to share the good news about Jesus Christ with their own people, uh, the Jews. Uh, but we're told that some of these scattering believers who were from the island of Cyprus and the North African uh, country of Cyrene, uh, they preached the gospel to a group that the New Testament text refers to as the Hellenist. And you may notice in your Bibles that some of your Bibles refer to this group as the Greeks. Uh, some of your Bibles refer to them as the Hellenist. And, and the reason for this is that there's some discussion amongst the commentators about how to best translate this word. Uh, but it's clear from the context of this passage uh, that the reason that what is happening is exceptional is because the gospel is being shared, uh, it's being shared with and it's being believed by the Greek people of Antioch. Um, you know, sometimes this word can mean, it can kind of refer to Hellenistic Jews, sometimes it can refer to Greeks. Uh, but we've already seen Hellenistic Jews, meaning uh, Greek-speaking Jews who are familiar with the Greek culture. We've seen them come to faith in the, story, in the book of Acts. We've seen it in Jerusalem. So if that was what this verse means, it wouldn't be uh, news that required an investigation uh, from Jerusalem. Uh, we've already seen this happening in Acts. So what we're seeing in Antioch is something brand new. And so while the word in the Greek is Hellenist, in this verse we interpret it to mean the Greek people in that region. And so as they scatter, some of these believers who have fled Jerusalem and who have fled Judea, uh, who are familiar with the Greek culture, who are familiar with the Greek language, uh, they begin to share the gospel with the Greek people in the region. And even more incredibly, we're told in verse 21 that the hand of the Lord is with them in this and that a great number believe and turn to the Lord. And so in the city of Antioch, you know, the capital of the Roman province of Syria, this is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Um, in, this, in this city, Greek-speaking Gentiles are responding to the gospel by repenting of their sins and placing their faith in Jesus as the Christ without first becoming a part of the Jewish faith. And this is happening in large numbers, and this is something entirely different. And so as reports of this ministry to the Gentiles in Antioch reach Jerusalem, uh, the Jerusalem church responds, um, and, and last time when Peter came, they were hesitant. Uh, they criticized him. This time they respond by embracing this ministry. I'm going to read verses 22 through 24 again for us. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Uh, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So the church in Jerusalem hears reports of this incredible ministry happening among the Gentiles in Antioch, and they send Barnabas to investigate. And this choice of Barnabas is significant. Uh, Barnabas is a Hellenistic Jew. He's from the island of Cyprus, and so he's well-suited for this role. He knows the culture. Uh, he knows the language. Uh, Barnabas is also highly respected within the church. We've met him several times in the story of Acts. And here he's described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. Uh, if you remember, he was the one who supported and encouraged Saul when he first arrived in Rome. And so in Barnabas, they've sent a sympathetic and, and well-equipped investigator to find out what's happening. And when he arrives, 
He celebrates the incredible work that God in his grace is doing in bringing salvation to the Gentiles. And then he encourages them to continue this work. Uh, He encourages them to continue in this work that has clearly been given to them by the Lord and has clearly been blessed by the Lord. And we're told that a great many people were added to the Lord again. That's the second time we've been told this. But we should should recognize and and note that these uh, converts, these Greek converts, have a very different starting point who'd come to faith in Jesus from a Jewish background. Uh, they, they don't know the Old Testament. Uh, they haven't lived their lives according to a well-defined moral code like God's law. Uh, they have likely spent their lives worshiping uh, false idols. And so Barnabas recognizes that he needs help. Uh, he needs help instructing these new believers and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So Barnabas recruits Saul to help in this ministry. Now let me read uh, this is verses 25 to 26. Say this. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And so in these verses, uh, we see, uh, in these verses, we see Barnabas head to Tarsus, uh, which is actually close nearby Antioch. He goes there to retrieve Saul. Uh, Saul has been there for roughly eight to 10 years. Uh, Ever since he escaped Jerusalem, uh, we don't know much about what Saul had been doing. Uh, We assume he was still instructing people. Uh, still teaching, uh, still encouraging others to, to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, so we don't, but we don't know exactly what he's been doing. But it's clear that Barnabas hasn't forgotten Saul, who was set apart as God's missionary to the Gentiles the day he was converted. And so Barnabas seeks out and finds Saul. And he brings him to Antioch. And the two of them spend a full year teaching these new believers. And it's during this time that the disciples of Christ are given a name. Uh, they're given a new name. Uh, and this is the first time they were called Christians. Uh, Before this, uh, the followers of Jesus were recognized kind of under the umbrella of Judaism, uh, even though the Jews had rejected them. Uh, But now in Antioch, uh, with so many Gentiles repenting and placing their faith in Jesus as a Christ, without first joining the Jewish community, a new name is given. And they're called Christians, which is a mixture of the Greek and Latin languages. It's a name that emphasizes their devotion to Jesus as the Christ. And, And it's interesting, actually, most commentators I uh, believe that this name was given to the Christians in Antioch uh, by those outside of the church and maybe as an insult, um, <laughs> which, you know, I had not really thought about before. But they said this may maybe even have been an insult to them. Uh, they believe this because the name was almost never used by the authors of the New Testament. They refer to themselves as saints, as brothers, um, a wide variety of words they use to describe the church, but rarely did they use the word Christian. And when it was used, um, like in 1 Peter 4, it's, it's in the context of suffering for being labeled as a Christian. Uh, but whether they were assigned the name against their will or if they, were, if they chose it for themselves, the name Christian um, is for those who are known for their commitment to, and their association with Jesus as the Christ. And so the believers in Antioch um, were given this new name. And uh, the believers in Antioch, whether they were of Jewish descent or if they were raised among the Gentiles, they had a new identity. Uh, they had a new unity in Jesus Christ. And, and all of the believers, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so now there's a couple of interesting things happening in this passage that we might want to explain. Uh, The first thing that we need to explain is the presence of these prophets, because this is the first mention of prophets existing among the believers in the book of Acts. And and here is how Howard Marshall explains kind of the role of these prophets in the New Testament church. He says, uh, their functions were various and included both exhortation and foretelling of the future. They may well have given expositions of the Old Testament using their spiritual insight to show how its prophecies were being fulfilled in the events connected with the rise of the church. 
their activity as connected with a new sense of inspiration associated with the gift of the Spirit to the church. And so these New Testament prophets had a somewhat similar role to the Old Testament, uh, the prophets in the Old Testament. At times, the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to foretell uh, future events. Other times, uh, they used their gifts to explain the Scriptures, uh, the point to Christ in the Scriptures. And their gifts were used to build up, um, to protect the church. And, and much like the other miraculous gifts that we see in the book of Acts in the early church, uh, this gift was given um, and belonged to the season. Um, the gifts were used to confirm the message of the gospel as it was proclaimed. And here, the gifts of these prophets are employed to build up the church of young believers and to protect the church from a coming famine. And so one of the prophets uh, who came down from Jerusalem, a prophet named Agabus, uh, he warns that there's a famine coming that's going to affect the entire world uh, within the Roman Empire. And the believers in Antioch respond to this prophecy by gathering a financial gift, as each can, um, to help support the believers in Jerusalem during this famine. And, and they send it with Saul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem. And if you notice in verse 29, it says that they gathered this gift uh, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. The Christians in Antioch, uh, both Jews and Gentiles, brought together by their faith in Jesus as the Christ, they belong to the same family as their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria. And so to the glory of God, the Gentiles have been granted repentance that leads to life, and they have been welcomed into the family of God. That's what we see in this passage. You know, in, in the book of Acts, we see the followers of Jesus challenged. We see them at times struggling to accept the need to expand uh, their understanding of who belongs in the family of God, to include the Gentiles. And in our passage today, we see God at work through his people and through his word, bringing the Gentiles into his family. Or as Paul later writes in Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29, which I'm going to read for us, says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you, all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise." The gospel of Jesus Christ has united all who place their faith in him into one people, uh, called by his name, and he is still doing this today. And so before we go, we're going to take just a few minutes to look at two really important truths that we find in this passage that tell us about God's family. And the first important truth about God's family uh, that we find in this passage is this. Uh, God's family includes people who are remarkably different. Uh, God's family includes people who are remarkably different. You know, in this passage and in the chapters before it, we see God expanding the understanding of the early church regarding who belongs to the family of God. And the result is that Gentiles, uh, the ultimate outsiders, are brought in to the family of God. And it's the good news of the grace of God poured out for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, granting us repentance that leads to life through the shed blood of Jesus that unites remarkably different people in a way that nothing else in this world does. Uh, God's family includes all those people we mentioned earlier that we sometimes struggle to connect with. Uh, God's family includes the wealthy and the poor and those in the middle. You know, God's family includes people from every level of education. Uh, God's family includes people who have grown up in a community or who have moved to it brand new. Uh, God's family includes the widows and the orphans and the married and the single and the families. Uh, God's family includes people from every culture and race and language and with all kinds of personalities. Uh, God's family includes people with all kinds of stories of how we came to know him as our Lord and Savior. And we're called to embrace the challenge of welcoming well uh, those who are different than us into our church families. 
And so the first important truth about God's family that we find in this passage is that God's family includes people who are remarkably different from one another. The second important truth about God's family that we find in this passage is that God's family includes people who are remarkably the same. Uh, God's family includes people who are remarkably the same. In spite of all of the differences that exist within the family of God, uh, we are still very similar. And I want to mention three ways which, um, in, in which we're united as God's family in spite of those differences. Uh, it's not an exhaustive list, a representative list. Uh, so, not, so there's plenty more reasons, but I'm going to give us or plenty more ways. I'm going to give us three. Uh, first, we're united in our belief in Jesus as the Christ. Uh, we're united to one another in our belief as Jesus as the Christ. Uh, we're united in our belief that Jesus is the Son of God uh, who left heaven, came to earth, who satisfied the law of God by living a sinless life, who satisfied the wrath of God by dying on the cross in our place, and who was raised from the dead, uh, who is even now in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, and who will one day return. Uh, we confessed earlier the Apostles' Creed, which has a lot of that truth in it. Uh, we're united, uh, and we're the same, we're remarkably similar in our belief that Jesus is the Christ. Um, the secondly, uh, we're united in our belief that we are in need of God's grace and that we have received God's grace. Uh, we're united in our belief that we need God's grace and that we have received God's grace. Uh, as Christians from all walks of life, we come together and we are united in our recognition that we have sinned, uh, that we have rebelled against our Creator, that because of our sin, we deserve both death and hell, but that by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven, and we can be reconciled to a holy God when we repent of those sins and place our faith in Him. Uh, so we are remarkably the same when it comes to our belief that we need the forgiveness for our sins that is found only in Jesus Christ, and in our having received, by God's grace, that forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So that's kind of the second way we're, we're similar. The second way we're remarkably the same is that we all recognize we need God's grace and we have received it through Jesus Christ. And third, we're united in our submission to Jesus Christ as our Lord. Uh, we're, we're united in our submission to Jesus Christ as our Lord. In Colossians 3, Paul tells us that while we have come from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of walks of life, our new identity is in Christ. Uh, we are a new creation and we are uh, to put off our old self, to put on Jesus Christ. As members of God's family uh, and as followers of Jesus, we're called to put to death what is earthly in us. Uh, we're called to no longer walk in our sins, and we're called to put on Christ as we progressively become more and more like our Savior. Uh, so we're united in our recognition that to come to Jesus is to die to ourselves. Uh, to come to Jesus is to live in obedience to Jesus and to his word. Uh, if you think about um, the church in Antioch, uh, as they were... Uh, seeing all these people come to faith, Barnabas goes and gets Saul because they need to instruct them in the faith. Um, they need to help them grow and learn and learn what it means to follow Jesus. Um, and so as we come together as the church, as God's family, we are remarkably the same in the fact that we are all uh, recognize our need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ as we learn and um, become more and more like him. And so God brings us together into his family. Uh, he brings us into this family united by our belief in Jesus as the Christ, uh, united by our recognition of our need for grace, united in our recognition that we have received grace uh, in Jesus, and united in our recognition that Jesus is the Lord um, and our, our readiness to submit to him. Uh, so God's family includes people who are simultaneously remarkably different and remarkably the same, united to one another in Christ. And we are called to welcome and to love one another as members of God's family by his grace,
And, and in the Bible, we see that God expands his family uh, to include the Gentiles, that the church embraces and celebrates the grace of God in that moment, uh, welcoming their brothers and sisters in Christ into the family, uh, because while they were previously divided, they are now united to one another only in Jesus Christ. And this all com- uh, points to this um, passage in Colossians 3.11, which I mentioned earlier. I'm going to read it now, uh, where Paul tells us, he says, Here, speaking of the church, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And so this morning, as we consider how we can welcome one another, how we can uh, welcome well those who are new to the church, who are coming into church communities, uh, we remember uh, the grace we've received. We remember the con- our confession of Christ as Lord. Uh, we remember the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. And we welcome one another uh, with that grace that we have received. So let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, we thank you. Uh, we thank you, Father.